Man, I wish I could play drums like that, man. It'd be so cool to play. I play a lot of instruments, but not drums. I'm Harrison, by the way, worship arts director here. What's up? Mike Moses, lead pastor, Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. Good to talk to everybody here the week after Thanksgiving. We're moving into Advent season. Uh, Today's podcast, the subject is a bit of ancient future reading that I did over the Thanksgiving holiday, just encouraged and lifted up by some um, very... uh, ancient Christian writings that encouraged my faith. I'll get to that in a moment, but how are you, Harrison? I'm doing all right, Mike. I was just, I mean, I know we're, we're going to try and keep it a little on the shorter side today, but I'm just curious, so I have to ask, if you could be like rockingly good at one instrument, what would you pick? If like a genie was like, I'm going to make you a boss at this Lead tomorrow. guitar. Lead, that's, that, that's so actually true, yeah. <laughs> you would love that. I mean, I'm really good at yeah. guitar, and yeah, I yeah. have been for a long time. Like I, any journey song, you mm-hmm, two, mm-hmm. I pretty much, if you've watched me, you would think I knew it. Yeah. I mean, or I would think you think I knew it. I would love to watch you play the full solo mm-hmm. for like, don't stop believing. Where it comes I, like, that'd be, I'm, I'm sure you would. That'd be pretty awesome. No, Mike, I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm doing well. You guys were just coming off Thanksgiving week. You guys had an awesome Thanksgiving with your kiddos up uh, north, New, right? New York City, our uh, Austin and Nicole, our son and daughter-in-law just moved to Brooklyn and uh, they're in this uh, transitional area where, like, it's almost like you shouldn't live there, and it's <laughs> almost like only really cool people live there. Sure. Um, we loved every second of it. We Angie and I got this little bohemian hotel and with our own little area, walking around coffee shops in the morning, and we ate our way across Brooklyn and Manhattan. We did all the Christmas stuff. We did Macy's. Oh, man. The day after they threw up all their Christmas displays, we did that on an evening. We just had a – it was it was really a, a magical Thanksgiving with our adult children. Dylan came up with uh, from Philadelphia. So That is fantastic. Well, Thanksgiving passing means that we are officially – in the Advent season, one of our favorite times of the year around here at Lake Forest, because it's just fun to, uh, it's fun to, the, the word Advent, as we say around here a lot of times, means the coming, and it is a season where we, uh, where we anticipate and celebrate the coming of yeah. Christ, and, and leading towards Christmas Eve, yeah. it's always awesome. We're in the Protestant, Presbyterian, even Puritan tradition of Christianity, which reacted against Catholicism in the in the Middle Ages, which turned a lot of the uh, Christian feast days or celebration days into hedonistic, um, uh, um, like parties. Mm-hmm. And so, in the 1800s, there were there were st- entire states in in America that banned Christmas celebrations. Mm. Because they didn't want them to become what they had become in parts of Europe, et cetera, which was like drunken festivals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, part of us being an ancient future church is we celebrate Advent. We use the word Advent. We anticipate for four weeks. We, uh, we had an Advent reading on Sunday morning. Uh, and so we, we're putting some celebration and anticipation back into Protestant Christianity, um, and hopefully, like at our tree lighting this Thursday night, hopefully it won't turn into drunken revelry Harrison you're in charge of making sure that doesn't happen that, it would be uh, it would have gone chocolate it would have gone very wrong if that happened and yet it doesn't have to be some uber serious mm-hmm. thing where we're on our knees penitentially beating ourselves because of our sin we're we're celebrating and anticipating the birth of our Lord and that's a good part of uh, Christians um, partnering with culture you know right mm-hmm. culture has taken that 
and made it sentimental, but it's good for us as Christians to anticipate it. So we have the tree lighting Thursday night with kids doing worship dance, which will be fun. Yeah. And then watching Charlie Brown, which preaches the gospel. That's right. At the end. That's right. Um, every Charlie Brown episode, maybe you could find the gospel. <laughs> uh, and then next Wednesday is our blue Christmas service where we get um, just, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know what that is. Yeah. Well, uh, to to the point of where we're going with the podcast today, Mike, I remember back the, over nine years ago now, uh, you you and I sat on this exact stage right right across from where we are right now, and Mike was talking to me about potentially being a part of Lake Forest Church, and you described this thing to me that that you were starting to kind of dream about and go for called ancient future worship, mm-hmm. and kind of were, were explaining to me what that looks like, and now we've had... Uh, the, 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 just in the time that I've been here, I've been here a little over nine, nine plus years here at Lake Forest. And, um, we've, we've done a lot of exploring around what it means to be an ancient future church. So I guess, uh, start this way, Mike, before you share with us what you read in your terms, how would you describe what it looks like to be a church that worships in an ancient future style? What the heck does that mean? (laughs) Uh, Good question. I think the way I would describe it is a church that uh, worships using methodology, music, technology. Um, we preach and speak in the vernacular, right? Um, so when I preach, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking everyday language. Mm-hmm. Like it's a great compliment when somebody will email me and say, hey, I brought my neighbor to church who was a little bit spiritually hungry, but a little bit afraid of church. And he was like, oh, that guy, I, I could, I'd enjoy getting a beer with that guy. Mm-hmm. Like that's a compliment. That's why we speak in the vernacular. At the same time, we are not such a modern church and modern worshiping church. Uh, we, we do not want to be a church with hubris that we have made up Christianity for the uh, genuine Christianity. We finally uh, discovered we it. We finally yeah. discovered it, um, mm-hmm. which is such hubris and pride and historical ignorance. Uh, and so we, we also, as Presbyterian, I can just say as Reformed Christians, we value the life of the mind. We value an educated clergy. Mm-hmm. We value clergy who are conversant with church history so we can understand where have certain... Um, uh, playing around with taking a, a doctrine in this direction can lead to error hmm. and take people really off track. And, uh, and, and then what are things of value from 2,000 years of church history? And so ancient future means we look back and value both theologically, historically. And then ancient future probably most uh, noticeably in our congregation means elements in the worship service. Mm-hmm. And so we attempt to have... We have a whole list on our planning board of various historic um, liturgical elements that have been in worship services of various uh, worshiping traditions off and on for for a thousand, two thousand years. And we try to grab one and either just go into it classically or reinterpret it for each sermon series. For this sermon, so simply calling it the Advent season is ancient future for a, a rock and roll uh, 
if you know anything, low church mm-hmm. uh, worship style like ours. And so calling it Advent, looking ahead for the four to five weeks. And then we, um, this, so this season, our ancient future element is having an Advent moment. We light the candle uh, each week in the traditional manner. There's a, a scripture reading on a theme. We had a family do it last week. We will have different people do it every Sunday. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a, uh, uh, sometimes it'll be a, con- a prayer of confession that relates to the series. Uh, sometimes it will be closing the service with a doxology. I remember somebody early in, in the life of Lake Forest going, oh, I, you know, I, I've, I've been in modern worshiping churches, but that thing you did at the end where you put your hand up and mm-hmm. you said some stuff over everybody at the end, I've never seen that before. <laughs> Uh, that's a benediction. That's a uh, that's an ancient future way of giving a, a good word of blessing over everyone before they go. Yeah, it's. I I remember sharing this with you a while ago, Mike. <clears throat> but I had read. I think it was one of the Barna research groups. They were they were kind of exploring um, younger Christians and where they were the kinds of churches they were starting to attend in higher numbers over the past mm-hmm. ten years, mm-hmm. and it was it was overwhelmingly becoming skewed not towards. Um, the tr- like super rock and roll non-denominational style churches, younger, younger Christians were getting really intrigued by, um, a lot of times super traditional services right. that were just filled with these ancient elements because the, the speculation on the part of the, the group that put it together was, um, just a little bit of skepticism for some people tour about being felt like they were like sold something or like that it was, it can become so flashy so that it's new. like, eh. like you package something. Is that really Christianity? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that I'm familiar with that statistic and that movement, particularly into uh, newer Anglican churches, mm-hmm. which are tr- uh, orthodox in their theology, the Anglican church in North America and I'm friends with a number of their clergy. However, that trend generally only holds true in my observation and in a deeper dive in the statistics for those who are longtime Christians and, and really serious about it. Hmm. And and they just like the the heftiness, the meatiness of the liturgy, which speaks doctrine. You're speaking it back to one another over and over. I have not seen examples, and I've challenged some of my Anglican clergy, including one who's a bishop over half of the country in that movement, show me um, some some examples of those churches who are reaching unchurched people, and um, he hasn't gotten back to me. Um, so <laughs> we're attempting to do the best of both yeah, uh, yeah. in that regard. So uh, my plan, my airplane reading on the way to and from New York, um, I, I pulled up, because I was lame and last minute, I had to pull up things I already had on my Kindle, and... And I decided that my reading would just be classic Christian. Uh, my father, uh, who I love and respect immensely, and he's taught me so much, mostly about the unconditional love of the Father uh, for us and for me through Jesus Christ, not because of, of what I've done or who I am because of, um, uh, well, who I am, not what I've done. Um, he... he said he he loved to tell people i only read dead authors <laughs> um who finish well or their work has stood the test of time so i read two things on the airplane i read the didache which is uh in greek that means the teaching 
It is the earliest, if not one of two or three earliest surviving Christian writings right after the, the close of the New Testament. So we have the mm. New Testament writings that close out, you know, in the, uh, the uh, before 100 um, A.D. So it's the first generation of Christianity uh, connected to the apostles. The Didache is uh, is an early church writing written sometime between 70 A.D. and 130 A.D. So okay. very early by clearly an authoritative leader. Um, so I read that, and I also read The Cloud of Unknowing um, by an anonymous—both of these are anonymous—by an anonymous— um, monk, English monk in the 14 or 1500s about um, how to actually apprehend God in uh, not only know that you're in union with God by faith, but experience union with God in contemplative prayer. Hmm. Um, I didn't quite finish that one. They both were so encouraging to me, hmm. Harrison. The, this one, well, the Didache written, or, uh, again, I'll just say about the year 100 AD. So think about this. The apostles uh, are gone, and you're the second generation of leadership in this movement of Christianity, second or third generation. And what I was most encouraged by, I had not returned to it in a long time. And uh, so he starts, uh, there. Uh, he, I'm, I'm presuming it's a male author, um, it's relatively short, and it's about Christian living, Christian ethics, um, less about doctrine. It's presuming doctrine. Um, it, it keeps saying something that Paul says often, and, and it sort of picks up this thing. Hold to the teaching that's been entrusted to you, hmm. nothing more, nothing less, which is referring to the teaching of the uh, handed down to the, from the apostles, which we have in the New Testament. So that's its doctrine. And then it's more about practice, including in worship a little bit, um, uh, with sacraments. And by the way, uh, in its instructions regarding baptism, it's very similar to what we do. Uh, if there's running water available, you're supposed to use that. If there's no running water, then that's when they say, yeah, sure, sprinkle it on their head hmm. in, in three movements of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and we do both of those. Wow. But a, a small detail, those being baptized and the baptizers, like me, are uh, suggested. This is not a—this is a really gracious document, Harrison. It's suggested that you fast one or two days hmm. before baptism. And so I'm going to challenge uh, our pastors to do that before cool. our next baptism yeah. someday. I wish I'd read it before. Hmm. Um, but it's the, the ethics especially— are just filled with Jesus quotations. It's mm. dripping with the Gospels, the the Didache. It's just over, and, and it majors on, and, and again, they're still in the Roman Empire. They're at the time of the highest persecution of the Christian church um, at, at about 100 AD, and over and over, it, it's quoting Jesus, love your enemy, mm. do good to those who persecute you, speak ill of no one, speak better of your enemies than your friends and family. Just over and over, that Jesus ethic um, is definitive of all of the teachings of Christian behavior. Now, there's, there, it is in there, it, it, people wonder, uh, it is in there that we, um, that Christians from the earliest of years are 
preserve life, preserve the life of infants hmm. um, who are exposed. Uh, do not seek uh, abortions, in, you know, in any untoward manner. Um, it's it's spoken of. Yeah. So it, it just it's just this beautiful. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, vernacularization, <laughs> I guess, of New Testament ethics. Oh, it's just such a cool, it's such a cool glimpse into the early life of the church, which we have, you know, we have the book of Acts that describes so much of kind of that, like, very beginning chunk, yes. mm-hmm. but it is kind of cool to see yeah. where it got picked up once this first generation of apostles uh, have been persecuted and killed Paul as well. And really, I mean, it's, it's so cool hearing you say even that Mike, because anyone who was a part of the early church at that point by a hundred AD would have seen what happened already, not only to Jesus, yeah. they but had to the, enemies. Yeah. To the early leaders of the church. So the, the amount word enemy had names to it and it was generally yeah, your government, the amount of counterculturalness to, say love your enemies and don't speak ill toward anyone i mean they they know that there are people that literally wish them dead so it's yeah. it's it's really it, cool it it almost was like i should just read this for a sermon mm. um a couple of other details they mentioned he i thought this was helpful he um the writer sort of uses prophet teacher and bishop and deacon interchangeably as most Christian denominations do today. Like we choose elder as the primary, we use that as the biblical office in Presbyterianism. Baptists use deacon. Uh, Anglicans, uh, Roman Catholics use bishop, especially overseer. But uses them kind of interchangeably and says basically they're the people in, 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 uh, who teach the, uh, the gospel to you, the, the truths of the faith, and who lead. Um, there, this is interesting. There was a, a section in, instructing every Christian who earns any money to be generous with it. Hmm. Uh, if you, it, this was interesting. If you have a teacher in your church uh, who's employed, then the first part of your offerings should go toward supporting the teaching in the church, and hmm. the second part to the poor. If hmm. you do not have a teacher in your church, all of your offering should go to the poor. Hmm. That was really specific. Super interesting there. Well, yeah, so that's the Didache. I could go on, uh, and I'm going to finish with a brief reading of how the prayer that's suggested at the end of the Eucharist or um, um, communion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing I read was the cloud of unknowing, which is the it's it's an obscure uh, or um, unknown person given over to a life of prayer, which is the. The highest form, which is the purpose of monasticism, Roman Catholic monasticism, lots of abuses in that. But this particular author described um, the choice to be a monastic as the choice of Mary or Martha. He kept coming back over and over, Hmm. um, meditating on this passage of some people are called to the life of activity and business. He used the word business, Hmm. like uh, Martha, who was busy about many things when Jesus came to the house of Mary and Martha. And some people are called to sit at the feet of Jesus and just gaze at him. Hmm. Um, sit at his feet, listen, ruminate on his teaching, and adore him. And that's Mary in, in, in that historical moment. And I had never 
encountered that before mm-hmm. um, as the rationale for why some are given over to a life of prayer and some to a life of, of bu- most to a life of business and activity. But this person was clearly very accomplished in talking about um, prayer and adoring God, but the highest level of prayer and, <coughs> and why this is well known. And, and it's, it, it, it's, 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 uh, it's been uh, branded, I guess, or termed in the stream of Christian mysticism. However, this is not mysticism that is not Christian. It's based in the gospel. He keeps coming back to that over and over. But it is saying, he is saying, it is actually possible in your prayer that if, if you, you can reach a state through practice, through, um, through confession of sin, through long habit, you can actually reach a state where if your intention is to behold God for God's person, not for God's blessings, not for um, God's attributes, but simply God's person, that you can reach this, and and then the author calls it this cloud of unknowing, hmm. where you break through a, and I cannot say I've experienced precisely this, uh, so I'm, I'm grossly summarizing <laughs> And, and this is written about over and over, and there are many, many different pitfalls that, that the author writes about how to um, avoid this or that in prayer and how to attain this in prayer, but that ultimately you can break past any preoccupation with things in life or other people or your own sin, mm-hmm. and you can attend to, you can have such an intention to... Uh, be with God and God alone, that your soul, uh, in your spirit, you can experience entering into the cloud of unknowing. In, in other words, there's not, it's not saying, th- and this is what God is like when, yeah. you, when you actually um, break through into God's presence. It's no, it's, it's an unknowing. It's an, it is a no thing. Hmm. that we can say or speak or describe and then you are there and with the Godhead. I can't describe it better than that without getting bogged down in lengthy quotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it uh, you know, I'm trying on some of the prayer practices from this great mystic. One of the things that encouraged me about it, Harrison, this is in the 14-1500s in England, pre-Reformation. We had mentioned this once before that there, um, we must not get a, a monolithic view of the medieval Roman Catholic Church that it was all only um, pharisaical priests and um, dumb laity who thought, yeah, oh, what that priest is teaching me is if I buy this indulgence, that gains me entrance into heaven, and then I, I can still live like hell. Yep. <laughs> Um, the gospel was alive and well in many quarters, and this is an example. This document um, r- almost reads like a Protestant uh, today, almost like, um, uh, yeah, like some writers in the early 20th century that I'm familiar with. Um, I won't bog you down with, but I was encouraged by that. I was encouraged by the Didache or in the 100s, felt... Um, and neither Roman Catholic nor Protestant, just full-on essentialist Christianity. Yeah. Um, so I was encouraged. that, that That's an, my example of spiritual reading 
over the holidays while eating my way through New York City. <laughs> that sounds like time well spent. I mean, the cloud of unknowing is cool, too. It sounds very similar to uh, God encounters in the Old Testament that we see of, you know, Moses going to the top of the mountain. And it's like it's it is more unknowing than knowing. It seems so undescribable to be in the presence of God as it's described in the Old Testament is uh, that's that's pretty cool. God was in the whisper, and Moses was only allowed to see God's hind parts. Yep. Whatever that <laughs> means. Uh, I like the cloud of unknowing yeah. better. So let me finish with this. I'm going to read, um, uh, so the Eucharist was more of a meal in worship. And so here's in the Didache, again, 100 AD. Here's uh, chapter 10, after the Eucharist. And it's uh, here's this first phrase. After you have had enough, After you've had enough of the Eucharist meal, give thanks like this. And I'll close with this. We give you thanks, Holy Father, for your holy name, which you have caused to dwell in our hearts, and for the knowledge and faith and immortality, which you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant child, to you be the glory forever. You, all governing master, created all things for the sake of your name and gave food and drink to people to enjoy that they might give you thanks. But to us, you have graciously given spiritual food and drink and eternal life through your servant son. Above all, we give thanks because you are powerful. To you be the glory forever. Remember your church, Lord, to deliver it from all evil and to make it perfect in your love. And gather your church, the one that has been sanctified from the four winds into your kingdom, which you have prepared for it, because the power and the glory are yours forever. May grace come, and may this world pass away. Hosanna to the God of David. If anyone is holy, let him come. If anyone is not, let him change the way he thinks and repent. Maranatha, Lord, come soon. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for uh, joining us on the Ask LFC podcast. We'll see you guys here next time.